For several years now, there's been a popular country western song by George Strait titled, Love Without End, Amen. I want to quote the lyrics to you this morning because I believe they express a very deceitful idea that is extremely prevalent in our society. The first stanza of the song says, I got sent home from school one day with a shiner on my eye. Fighting was against the rules and it didn't matter why. When dad got home, I told the story just like I'd rehearsed and then stood there on those trembling knees and waited for the worst. And he said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love. A secret that my daddy said was just between us. He said, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. It's a love without end. Amen. So far, there's nothing that is blatantly wrong with what the song says. You may question the assumption that love means no consequences, but it's not stated specifically. The second stanza says, When I became a father in the spring of 81... There was no doubt that stubborn boy was just like my father's son. And when I thought my patience had been tested to the end, I took my daddy's secret and passed it on to him. And I said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love, a secret that my daddy said was just between us. I said, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. It's a love without end. Amen. So far, so good. But this is where the song gets interesting. The third stanza says, Last night I dreamed I died and stood outside those pearly gates, when suddenly I realized there must be some mistake. If they know half the things I've done, they'll never let me in. And then somewhere from the other side I heard these words again, and he said, Let me tell you a secret about a father's love, a secret that my daddy said was just between us. You see, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. It's a love without end. Amen. I hope you understand what that last stanza of the song is saying, implying. It is basically saying because God is love, everyone is automatically a child of God and everyone is going to heaven. It doesn't matter if you've repented. It doesn't matter if you've received forgiveness through Christ. Because God's love is without end, everybody is going to heaven. That kind of thinking permeates our society. And it is tragically deceptive. God is love. There is no doubt about that. God is love. He doesn't merely love. He is love. However, the fact that God is love does not mean that everybody is automatically a child of God and everybody is going to heaven. Let me show you what God has to say about this by way of introduction this morning. Please turn with me over near the end of the New Testament to the letter of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John, we have been studying through 2 Peter, and then the next letter after 2 Peter is 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. This is the chapter where we find the statement, God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love 
does not know God, for God is love. Then we find that statement again down in verse 16 of the same chapter. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So two times in this fourth chapter of 1 John, we have the statement, God is love. That is a glorious truth that cannot be exhausted. But at the same time, it's important to notice how this chapter opens. Go back a few verses to the opening of the chapter. Verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Isn't that interesting? The same chapter that twice affirms that God is love is the same chapter that warns against false prophets, false teachers, and states that some people are children of God and some people are not children of God. Beloved, there's no contradiction in that at all. No contradiction whatsoever. It is a deceptive and false assumption that because God is love, everyone is automatically a child of God and everyone is going to be allowed into heaven. The scripture is clear that some people are going to be allowed into heaven, those who have repented and trusted Christ, and some people are not going to be allowed into heaven. And that is part of what makes false teachers so dangerous. False teachers can lead people astray and turn people away from heaven. That is one of the reasons why God's word has such strong things to say about them. We see an example of that in our text this morning in 2 Peter chapter 2. So let's go back to that text that we have been considering for several weeks now. 2 Peter chapter 2. And please follow along as I read verses 12 through 19, though our focus this morning is, is verses 17 to 19. But I want us to have the context in our mind. So we'll begin reading in verse 12. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand. And they will utterly perish in their own corruption. And they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. 
They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. As we have seen over the last several messages, this second chapter of Peter's letter is a warning about false teachers. That is the way the chapter opens, and that is the way it closes. Peter tells us many things about false teachers in this section of his letter. In verses 10 through 16, he gives us a description of false teachers. He sets forth their arrogance in verses 10 through 13a, and their sensuality in verses 13b through 16. That is their character which was our unpleasant task to consider in the last message. Then Peter describes the work of false teachers in verses 17 to 19, which we'll look at in this message. And he closes the chapter with the tragic personal status or destiny of false teachers in verses 20 through 22. Now Peter's basic message in this section is that false teachers who lead others astray with their error, will not escape the judgment of God. In fact, their judgment will be even more severe for their activities. Peter says in verse 9, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Now watch verse 10. And especially, and especially those who walk according to the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness, and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. All unsaved people will be judged by God, but Peter wants us to understand that especially those who are false teachers and lead others astray. In each of the last two messages, I have had us turn to the tiny book of Jude, because of the many parallels between 2 Peter and Jude. So once again, let's turn over to the little letter of Jude to hear what he had to say about false teachers. And we'll use that as a background to our text here in 2 Peter 2. Jude is the second to the last book of the Bible. We just turn to the book of Revelation at the end and back up a little bit. And there we find the book of Jude. In verses 5 through 11 of this brief letter... Jude uses almost every literary device possible to describe the character of false teachers. He has used the example of angels. He has described false teachers as animals. And he has referred to biblical history. Then in verses 12 and 13, Jude uses examples in nature. It's obvious when you read these words that Jude is writing with extreme passion and intensity. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, These are spots or hidden rocks in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, 
serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. The phrase hidden rocks depicts the treachery of false teachers. The phrase waterless clouds depicts the emptiness of false teachers. The phrase trees without fruit depicts the barrenness of false teachers. The phrase raging waves depicts the wasted effort of false teachers. The phrase wandering stars depicts the aimlessness that ends in total blackness. What a graphic picture or description of false teachers. The word in verse 12 that is translated spots in some of our English translations is really hidden rocks. The picture that Jude is painting is of a ship sailing along and being destroyed by hidden rocks. Rocks just under the surface of the water that can't be seen. He says these are rocks in your love feasts. As I mentioned last week, the love feast was a meal that everyone ate together before celebrating communion. It was sort of like a potluck dinner. Evidently, the false teachers joined right in the meal, according to what Jude says here. They would feast without fear, participate without fear. False teachers are totally without fear of the judgment of God. They go right on playing religion, playing Christianity, blending into the crowd without any fear of the judgment of God, even though they espouse heresy. And remember, Jude and Peter, both Jude and Peter have a specific group of people in mind when they write these very harsh words. Their focus is on false teachers who operate in the realm of religion and Christendom. R.C. Sproul said it this way, quote, Heresy is not usually the forte of the washerwoman. It is the occupation of the scholar and the theologian who are puffed up with knowledge and have no fear of God, end quote. That is the group Jude has in mind. That is the group Peter has in mind. Verse 12 says, They are clouds without water. In other words, they're empty. They have no truth in them, nothing to offer, no answers from God. What an accurate description of false teachers. I am literally amazed. I continue to be amazed at how many people go to churches Sunday after Sunday and sit under false teachers who give out nothing accurate from Scripture. Nothing. No truth, no answers, no nourishment. As Jude says here, they are clouds without water. So that you can see the relevancy of Jude's words here, let me give you some examples of clouds without water right here in our community. These are actual quotes I have collected through the years from ministers of churches here in our area. One minister here in town said that when Jesus expressed John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus stated that, he didn't really mean that he was the only way to God, and there are other ways to God. 
A lady in our church was at a funeral here in town, and the minister said, Isn't it great to know that everybody is going to heaven? We don't need to personally receive Christ. Here are some other statements, direct quotes. Quote, we are born again after we get to heaven. Here's another one. The Lord's return comes every time a person dies. That doesn't mean he will really come again because he comes each time a person dies. Here's another quote. The Bible was not inspired by God. One day a group of men got together around the campfire and wrote down some events that happened. Here's another. Life is like a pathway. We go through sunshine and shadows, but we will all end up the same place. Here's another quote. We make our own heaven on earth or hell on earth. There is no real heaven or real hell. Here's another statement. There is evil in the world, but there is no such thing as Satan or demons. Direct statements made by people who are supposedly ministers of the gospel. Beloved, those are clouds without water, to use Jude's descriptive phrase. And then he adds this phrase here in verse 12, carried along by the winds. That has the idea of no stability, just being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Whatever happens to be the popular thing to talk about in society, whatever happens to be the in thing to talk about, whatever is sort of the buzz in the social media, that's what they'll propagate. They'll jump on the bandwagon of self-esteem, repressed memories, defining sin as disease, defining it as an addiction, codependency, genetic predisposition, earth first, homelessness, etc. Whatever the newest fad is, whatever the newest trend is, they'll take up the cause because they're just carried along by the winds, Jude says. No stability. Just go with whatever is the popular topic of the day. The end of verse 12 describes false teachers as late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. In other words, Judah is saying they are void of spiritual life. They'll never produce any true spiritual fruit, which is the evidence of life. They'll be pulled up by the roots and burned. It's Jude's way of saying the destruction of false teachers is certain. But he's not done. In verse 13, he says this. He says, Raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. That depicts the wasted effort of false teachers as they foam out nothing but shame. They litter the shores with their refuse. The end of verse 13 says, Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of of darkness forever. False teachers are wandering stars. In other words, they're they're off course. They're, They're out of line. Fixed stars help guide ships. But wandering stars are useless. And so are false teachers because of their error. They choose error. So Jude says, God has reserved for them the blackness of darkness forever. Their existence will terminate in eternal oblivion. Their condemnation is certain. And this is exactly what we are told in 2 Peter chapter 2. So let's go back to our text there in 2 Peter 
chapter 2 and consider what God says through the pen of the Apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You will notice as we work our way through our text this morning that Peter's wording and Jude's wording at this point are almost identical. Scholars debate which author was, which book was written first and who borrowed from whom and so forth because they are so, so similar, almost identical. Notice verse 17. Peter says, These are wells without water, clouds or mists carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. About the only difference between this verse and Jude 12 is that Jude calls the false teachers clouds without water, and Peter calls them wells without water or springs without water. Either way, the point is the same. If you need refreshing water from a rain cloud, if you need refreshing water from a well, but the cloud or the well is waterless, then the result can be very devastating. And remember, Peter is writing these words from a Middle East perspective where water is not a luxury, but often a matter of life and death. I've been to Israel and other parts of the Middle East in the summer months, and water is a priceless commodity. So when Peter calls false teachers wells without water, springs without water, he is using powerful imagery to say that they are worse than useless. Not only useless, worse than useless, they are deadly. And then Peter says here in verse 17, they are clouds driven by a storm, mists driven by a storm. That emphasizes the same point as the previous imagery, which is that they are empty of anything helpful, but it also makes the point that they are fickle. They don't have any fixed convictions drawn from the Word of God. They don't have any firm convictions drawn from inspired Scripture. Remember, this is the same thing Jude said about false teachers. Whatever happens to be the popular thing to talk about, the in thing to talk about, that's what they'll propagate. That will be the focus of their sermons, their homilies, their expositions. They'll jump on the bandwagon of self-esteem, repressed memories, defining sin as disease or addiction, codependency, genetic predisposition, earth first, homosexual rights, etc., etc., Whatever the newest buzzword happens to be, whatever the hot topic of society happens to be, they'll take up the cause because they are carried by a tempest. They just float around going with whatever is is the in thing to, to be discussing. And then Peter says at the end of verse 17, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness. Boy, that's a scary phrase. That is a scary phrase. It's obvious that it's a reference to hell because Jesus described hell as outer darkness. Jesus used that phrase in Matthew 8:12, Matthew 22:13, Matthew 25:30 he called hell outer darkness. False teachers who spurn what God's word teaches and twist it to make it politically correct or make it palatable to the senses of modern society will end up in the black darkness of hell. They lead people away from the truth, and they lead people toward a Christless eternity. Verse 18, Peter says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, 
through lewdness the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Before we unpack this verse, we need to deal with a translation issue. My version renders the last phrase of this verse, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. If that's the way this phrase should be translated, then that would be a reference to genuine believers. However, most of the other English translations render this phrase something like this. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. Or, some translations, they entice those who are barely escaping. If that's the way this phrase should be translated, then that would be a reference to people who are trying to escape error and who are about to escape error, or possibly even new believers. The evidence points to this latter translation. Peter seems to be saying that false teachers prey upon people who are looking for answers in life. They prey upon those who are trying to escape from error, or just escaping from error, barely escaping, etc. Now think about what Peter is saying here. Let me just give you a modern, modern story that would illustrate exactly what Peter is saying here. Someone decides that he's going to turn over a new leaf in life. He's, he's, he's going to get a, a, a fresh start in life. He doesn't like the way he's been living, how things are going, so he's going to start over. So he decides that the next Sunday he will go to church. Now, he, he really doesn't know how to decide where to go to church, so he just picks one. There's so many options. And when he goes to church the next Sunday, the person doing the speaking says something like this. Now, we know that the stories in the Bible, like Noah and the ark or Jonah and the whale, are not to be taken literally. They are just mythological stories with lessons for life. Or they hear something like this. We know that it is not scientifically feasible that a snake talked with a woman who ate a piece of fruit, and that is the source of humanity's problems. That was just an ancient way of making a point. Or maybe he hears something like this. If you will pray to Mary, she will take your prayer to her son Jesus. She'll make sure and get it there. If you will pray the rosary, it will give you strength. If you will pray to the saints, they will help you. You see, people who are looking for answers in life or strength for life or direction in life often turn to religion. And the tragedy is that what they often hear is a false teacher who leads them not toward the God of Scripture but away from the God of Scripture. That is what Peter is describing here. He says here in verse 18, they speak great swelling words of emptiness. In other words, false teachers are often articulate because, as this quote from R.C. Sproul earlier, they're often scholars. They may be great orators or public speakers, and they use that ability to instruct people and convince people and confuse people. They may sound spiritual. They may sound profound in what they say, but they often, as Peter says here, allure through the lusts of the flesh. Now understand, that doesn't only mean that they appeal to people in some kind of immoral way. Remember, the term the flesh is often used in the New Testament to refer to the sin nature in general, and not only to the immoral component of it. 
So Peter may be saying that these false teachers often appeal to the sin nature in people by telling them the things they want to hear. This would include things like this. Your problem isn't your sin. Your problem is your lack of self-esteem. Your problem is because your parents didn't let you do what you wanted to do. Your problem is your situation in life. Your problem is your environment. It's your circumstances. Those ideas appeal to the sin nature just as much as sensual allurements. Those ideas appeal to the sin nature because we don't, like our very first parents, we don't want to admit and our, our problem. You remember when God confronted Adam? Well, the woman you gave me. That, the, and she, he goes to the woman. Well, the serpent. It's always somebody else's problem. So those kinds of teachings really appeal to the sin nature. It's not your problem. You're not the problem. So Peter may be including those ideas by this phrase, but it's clear that he also has in mind sensuality because he adds the phrase here in verse 18, through lewdness, or depending on your translation, by sensual passions. That probably means that false teachers promote a kind of religion that tells people they can be right with God and at the same time hold on to their immorality. That viewpoint, beloved, and hopefully you know this, but that viewpoint is propagated repeatedly in our day in lots of churches and in lots of religious settings. If you want to find a church or a religious leader that will tell you that it's okay to live a homosexual lifestyle, you don't have to look very hard. If you want to find a church or a religious leader that will tell you it's okay to live together before marriage, you don't have to look very hard. If you want to find a church or a religious leader that will tell you that pornography is no big deal because it doesn't involve a real person, you don't have to look very hard. If you want to find a church or a religious leader that will tell you that premarital sex is something you just have to accept because everybody does it, you don't have to look very hard. You don't have to look very long at all to find them. False teachers will often say whatever people want to hear. False teachers will often say that our, our message has to evolve as society evolves. And that is a lie that appeals to the sin nature in unsaved men and women. It sounds reasonable. It sounds rational. It sounds sophisticated. It sounds educated. Therefore, as Peter says here, those who are trying to escape error or about to escape error or trying to turn over a new leaf in life, end up getting caught in smooth-sounding words of false teachers. And he says in verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage or slavery. What does Peter say here? The first thing he says is that false teachers promise people liberty. They promise them freedom from guilt or freedom from what they would call the oppressive views of conservative biblical Christianity. This is such an appealing message, especially to many Americans for whom freedom is more important than anything in the whole world. So when false teachers promise people freedom from their guilt or 
freedom from their past or freedom from their restrictions or freedom from their limitations or freedom from their oppressive conservative church that takes the Bible too seriously. People are intrigued by that. They're interested. They want to know about that kind of freedom or liberty. People are interested, but what they don't realize is, as God says here, false teachers are often slaves of corruption themselves, slaves of depravity themselves. I know this is hard for a lot of people to believe that false teachers are slaves of depravity themselves, but, beloved, don't doubt what God says. Some false teachers are slaves of alcohol. It is not uncommon to hear about ministers or priests that are alcoholics. Some false teachers are slaves of pornography. It's very easy to be that today since men and women don't have to go to the store to buy the junk. You can just look at it on your computer or wireless device or whatever. I had a man tell me that the minister of the church he used to be a part of in another state gave him some very interesting input during a conversation on pornography. This man went to his minister for help in overcoming pornography. He went to him for help. And the minister said to him, here's the direct quote, everyone's mouse wanders occasionally. What kind of counsel is that? Everyone's mouse wanders occasionally? It makes you wonder if that minister was a slave of pornography himself. Many false teachers are. Some false teachers are slaves of immorality. The news regularly runs stories, if you just just look for it, the news regularly runs stories of ministers that were caught in adultery or caught with a prostitute or priests that were caught in homosexuality or pedophilia. It simply illustrates the truth of what God said 2,000 years ago. False teachers promise freedom to people when they themselves are slaves of corruption, slaves of depravity. Some false teachers are slaves of financial corruption. They are consumed with getting more and more money and are willing to do shady things to acquire it. Some false teachers are slaves of drug corruption or drug depravity. What I mean is some false teachers are slaves to mind-altering or mood-altering drugs because they believe they need those drugs to be able to deal with life. Beloved, the point I'm trying to make with these examples or illustrations is that when God says false teachers are slaves, that slavery can take many, many different forms. It can look a lot of different ways. They promise freedom to people when they themselves are slaves. And then Peter adds a final thought here at the end of verse 19. He says, For by whom a man is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. The New American Standard Bible says it this way, For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Both translations are valid, And both ideas are true. Let me explain. If if someone is trapped by the error of a false teacher, there's a sense in which that person has become a, a slave of that false teacher. 
He has become a slave of that false teacher's error. That translation is emphasizing the slavery of the victim of a false teacher. But the New American Standard Bible translation is also true, and it is emphasizing the slavery of the false teacher himself. Whatever overcomes a man, whatever defeats a man, whatever controls a man becomes the master of that man. Or to say it another way, by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. That translation is referring to the false teaching and reinforces Peter's earlier point, which is that false teachers are themselves slaves in many ways. They are slaves to many things. If they haven't been set free by the truth of God's word, then they are slaves to something. They may be slaves to alcohol or money or drugs or immorality, or they may just be slaves of their own pride and arrogance and human reasoning. Or they may be slaves of their own form of religion, which they chose to invent when they rejected the absolute truth and authority of God's Word. Whatever controls them, whatever drives them, and it's not the truth of God's Word if they are false teachers, whatever drives them is what has actually enslaved them. Now, beloved, I I realize that these are harsh words. They are. But I remind you that this is God's description of false teachers. This is his assessment. This is his evaluation. These aren't the words. don't, Don't go here in your mind. These aren't the words of some petty or jealous man who wants to put down religious leaders who don't agree with him in his views. It's not what this is. This is what God has to say about religious leaders and false teachers who abandon the absolute authority and truthfulness of the written word of God. It is not popular to say these things. It is certainly not politically correct to say these things, especially in a day when tolerance is held up as the pinnacle virtue. But this is God's opinion of those who twist, distort, or misrepresent him and what he has said in Scripture. This is God's description and assessment. And we would do well to take God seriously, especially in our day. Let's bow together as we close. As we bow our heads in closing this morning, I want to end where we began, and that is by addressing the false notion, the false idea that because God is love, therefore everyone is automatically a child of God and everyone is going to heaven. Please understand that is not true from Scripture. That is not what the Word of God teaches. Yes, God is love. No doubt about that. And because He is love, He offers salvation freely to those who will repent And believe. So God is love. And salvation is available. Heaven is available. But it's not automatic. It is not automatic. Scripture could not be any clearer that there is a condition. We need to repent of our sin and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. 
So if you have never received Jesus Christ by faith, if you have never personally taken him as Lord and Savior, you need to do that. You need to surrender your life to him. You need to turn from your sin, whatever is holding you back, and turn to Jesus Christ in simple, childlike faith. Then you will experience the love of God, which is vast and unmeasured. But if you reject God's provision in Christ, then you are the one rejecting God's love. The problem is not on his side. You reject his loving offer of free salvation. Receive Christ today. Father, it is not a pleasant task to read through and study through 2 Peter chapter 2. Also the words of Jude that we have pulled into this study because of their exact parallel. We would much rather be studying something like Romans chapter 8, all about your love for us and your hold on us and the security of our salvation or, or other passages of Scripture, but this is part of your word, an important part of your word. And you not only said it once, you've said it twice in almost identical fashion, both in Second Peter 2 and Jude. So it is obvious that this is very important to you and ought to be very important to us. This is something we need to know, something we need to understand, something we need to believe, something we need to be aware of, that there are false teachers in religion, in Christendom, who fit the description of what Jude and Peter have to say. Grant us wisdom, discernment, discretion, understanding how you would want us to respond. And in closing, we pray for anyone here who is not a child of yours, not yet come into the family of God through faith in your Son, May your Holy Spirit draw that person, that man, woman, young person, whoever it is. May they understand that they need to personally respond to the gospel, personally respond to your love and your loving offer of salvation. And may they let go of sin or whatever is holding them back and turn to Jesus Christ in faith, in whose name we pray. Amen.